Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 21 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our sponsor, Bill for Time. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Tom, we've had a little break, and I'm excited to get back to the podcast, and I think we have a terrific topic today. Do you want to tell people about it? Absolutely. Uh, we, we believe and we, we, we have the general opinion that lawyers are usually considered to be late adopters of technology. While there's plenty of good evidence to support that view, um, I think you and we both agree that you can probably find lawyers all across the spectrum of technology adoption, from early adopters to late adopters and, and every phase in between. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the technology adoption continuum, the advantages and disadvantages of each category and how you can make the best use of your personal technology adopter style. In our second segment, we'll be answering some questions from the inbox. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can begin to use as soon as this podcast is over. But on to our main topic, technology adoption styles. Dennis, uh, you sent me a link a couple of weeks ago, I think, to a great post over at Jeremiah Aoyang. I hope I got that right. Jeremiah Aoyang's web strategy blog on technology adoption adoption styles. He sets up a matrix of different technology adoption styles and gives a, a really good description of the benefits and the downsides of each style. Dennis, first of all, why? what are we talking about when we say technology adoption style and, and why should our listeners even care about this topic? Well, I, I think we're, we're ta- talking about technology adoption styles. We go back to something known as the technology adoption life cycle that has been written about extensively. And, and you, uh, if you search that term on Wikipedia, you'll find a nice summary of what's going on out there. But it can be sort of summarized in in one of the the, the uh, original thinkers' uh, ideas uh, in a graph called the Rogers Bell Curve, which sets out five different technology ad- adoption styles, as we're calling them. And, and it sort of shows the life cycle of how a technology gets uh, accepted, you know, from going from the very earliest adopters uh, through the very latest adopters. And there's a nice bell curve distribution of those styles where you you really see uh, transitional phases in the adoption of a technology. Uh, Jeremiah's post is terrific. He focuses on uh, social technology technology and the adoption of that. But we, the same things, I think, apply, Tom, uh, to, to legal technology as well. Do you want to run, start to, well, let's run people through the different stages. Sure. I'll take the first couple of stages. You know, over on the left side of that bell curve is where you'll find the innovators. Uh, the innovators are the are the first to any technology. Um, you'll see if once you go look at the at this blog post and, and the diagram that that really only is about 2.5% of the adopter population. Um, they're always the first people to take on new technologies. They are considered the thought leaders in their uh, in their field in terms of that, uh, that technology. But the downside 
for them is that it's costly in terms of uh, time and effort. They, there's no one who's blazed a trail in front of them, and so they are uh, in a position where they're having to to learn it all themselves. And you know, they they get a lot of the the, the benefit and the glory from doing that. The next group, where I think a lot of us and and I would probably put myself into this category more than in the innovator category, is the early adopter category, where you'll find, according to the the uh, the Rogers adoption curve, 13.5 percent of all of us. These are also people who are thought leaders. They're trying out this technology in a thoughtful way because the innovators have suggested that they use it. They they reduce their risk by not coming in first. They're not doing it the first time, so they they are learning from the mistakes that the innovators may have uh, ha- have made, and they are then therefore not spending as much time or as much money probably on the technologies that they uh, that, that that they're using. Probably one of the big categories after that is early majority. Early majority takes up 34% of the adoption curve. Now, they are going to adopt faster than the mainstream. So that's why they call it the early majority, that the mainstream comes later. Um, but the technology has matured by this point. So there is a, a, a big redu- reduction in the cost and the risk of using the technologies. You know, you're going to get a lack of the cool factor. You're not going to be as cool for being an early adopter. But um, the technologies, the downside is that the technologies that they're starting to use may already have started to evolve a little bit. So they may be actually not not benefiting from the best of the technology at the very beginning, and they're already starting to, to see different parts of that. I suspect, though, that, that most of our audience is probably going to come down into the lower portion. And when I say our audience, I think that most lawyers may come in the lower portion of the curve. Dennis, why don't you f- fill out the rest of the adoption curve? Yeah, so there's two big categories in the in, uh as you go right on the curve past the middle. So sort of mirroring the early majority, next will come the late majority. So that's another 34%. Typically, a skeptical group waiting to see what works and what doesn't work. Sort of have the luxury of time. It could be people who might do requests for proposals, evaluate a lot of options, but they really wait till the technology is mature and then try to make a, a good sort of reduced risk decision about what other people have learned. Now, it puts you, uh, it can put you uh, quite a ways behind what other people are doing. So, we used the example last year of talking about how there were some law firms that went to Office 2003. Uh, So, you might still find some people doing that who might be considered a late majority while the er early majority is in Office 2007 and you might have innovators um, already looking hard at Office 2010. So, I think that's a good way to picture what's going on in that category. The final category, uh, the last 16%, uh, is what I'll call late adopters, but uh, in, in the blog post, it's, Jeremiah refers to them as laggards. Um, so these are people who are way behind, who are overly cautious in a lot of ways, uh, reluctant to move into into technologies. Uh, Jeremiah's post suggests gives us the example: the people who in 2010 are looking at blogs and Twitter and, and other social media. So it's it's kind of already happened for the vast majority of people, but they're starting to to move in in there. So here's here's the people who really value reduced risk, standardized approaches, and and being ultra cautious. Uh, so the, the trade-off is that you're being really cautious, you value stability, but uh, technology could have moved 
beyond you in a number of, of different ways. Now, Tom, perhaps, I don't know whether it's fair or unfair, but lawyers are always used as the classic example of a group of late adopters. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think you're right. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And I'm going to, in a second, talk about why I think that's changing a little bit with the the dawn of social media and the availability, you know, the easier availability of tools on the internet. But, you know, lawyers are the consummate risk managers. They deal with risk in their profession all the time. And so as a result, that's, you know, as, as you look at the Rogers adoption curve, that's one of the things that affects when someone's going to adopt a technology is the level of risk involved. And uh, I think that that speaks volumes about why lawyers are tend to be on the, on the far right side of the curve. I think it also has to do with the fact that technology um, has long not been a part of a lawyer's profession. Uh, and we talk about this all the time, that lawyers... Uh, did not have to worry about technology beforehand, so they had a particular mindset. We advocate for the client. Uh, a zealous advocate requires no technology to do that. And so, uh, why should we learn this technology? That's changing. That's making a switch. Um, but but I think that when you put those two things together, sort of the risk aversion and the fact that lawyers have never been technology uh, uh, experienced uh, for, for, for longer than other industries, I think that's why we wind up being in, uh, you know, the best example of the laggards or the late adopters. Um, I, you know, I've, I think, though, Dennis, and do you agree with this, that 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 number, I think, may be starting to change a little bit. And, and we're, we may be seeing more lawyers who are adopting technology sooner than that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that uh, s- gradually, I mean, I think we're seeing some shift in that. And, and our our perspective is skewed a little bit because of some of the people we know and talk to who are, who are really uh, to that left-hand side of the curve. But I, I think with the impact of, of the economy over the last year, um, people looking to technology to sort of freeze their spin on technology maybe for the last year or so in, in the legal profession, uh, probably look at electronic discovery as a driver. Uh, I, I think lawyers are, are looking again to technology. And, and that's why I think something like um, this approach of uh, technology adoption styles can be really useful to lawyers who are, who are trying to, to plan things, to get a sense of where they are. I mean, I, I'd still tend to think of lawyers as in, in this, you know, in that, on the, the right-hand side of the curve for the most part, if, if you think of the profession. But I also think that it's it's really unfair to label people in one category or another. And I, I think that you and I are really great examples of that because I think that people often would say, you know, Tom and Dennis probably fall in that innovator category or early adopter at at worst. And and so we thought it'd be, it'd be kind of fun, Tom, to talk about whether we really consider ourselves early adopters. How about you? I I think uh, there's a lot of times I'm just thinking about something and, and you're already trying it. Well, I, you know, in terms of being an innovator, what I, what I was going to say earlier about 
sort of what I think is the change that is happening to lawyers is the internet makes it easier for us now to become innovators or early adopters. We're not the ones who are coming up with the tools, but uh, you know, when I see a new service or a new site online, uh, I am much more likely to go try it because of the nature of the tool now. I'm not having to purchase a license. I'm not having to go to a store and buy it. I can either download it to my computer instantly or it's a web service that I can use for free. So it makes it a lot easier for me to be an innovator or early adopter. I would say, you know, back when I started my blog back in 2002, I would have been more of an early adopter because blogs, you know, started it probably in 2000, maybe a little earlier than that. And so I was following on the heels of what other others were doing and learned from what they were, were doing. Nowadays, I think that the availability of, of these tools on the internet, I'll read a, a blog post about, hey, this new site just debuted. I'll go check it out. Usually it's free. Usually it's, there's an easier, easy barrier to entry or no, I say, should I say no barrier to entry. And I I can start trying that tool immediately and see whether it works in uh, my workflow or works for part of, of, of the job that I'm doing. So I, I think that the technology has made it easier for me to move maybe f closer from early adopter to innovator. Um, but, but it's not necessarily my mindset. That's just the technology that's available. What do you think? Well, and I, and those are good points. And I think also in our cases that it's kind of the people we hang out with um, make it True. easier for us to, to go to the innovator or early adopter categories um, because there's somebody who we're able to try it with or who's maybe looked at it at least once and said, hey, this might be interesting. And, and so I think that makes it a little bit easier. I find myself in this big continuum, which is how... I'm, I advise people to think about technology anyway. So in my case, I, you know, I, I got to say that uh, I'm, people probably think of me as an innovator and there's probably some good reasons for that. I, I think I tend to, to wait a little bit and probably fall in the early adopter category because I like to like to to see what's going on with people, see if the technology is get, getting traction. Uh, but as people know, when it comes to using telephones and stuff like that, I really struggle with that. And I'm, I'm totally behind the curve on, on using phones because I just don't, I don't like it. But in other categories, um, you know, I fall in, in different of these, uh, different of the categories. So, um, you know, I think if you start to think of it as this continuum and see where you fall in the range and, and in different areas where you fall in the, those ranges, I think this this starts to become really useful to you as as the way that you, you plan technology. And so you may find, like in my case, I know, and I think we're a little bit different on this time, is that I, I'm a big browser fan and, and you're always going to find me with the latest beta version of every browser. And that's what I use on the internet. It. And I'm I'm used to that. I know that other people don't like that at all. And and I think that uh, so there's areas that you have areas of comfort um, where you're willing to be more innovative. And then I also think that if you look, and this is true in my case, in areas where where stability um, and predictability are the biggest concerns for me, I I go way to the right on the curve, and I'm reluctant to to move away from things. 
Well, and I think that there's a certain, if I could be a contrarian here for a minute on, on you know, I think that you and I would probably um, advocate that lawyers try to learn about new technologies and adopt them as early as they can. But, you know, I really think that lawyers will take a look at this adoption curve and they would say, who cares if we're late adopters? Who cares if we're laggards on all of this? Our business is providing legal services to our clients. And as long as the technology we have is doing that in an adequate way, um, that that we're in, we're, we're safe doing it. Why should we worry about uh, what advantage does it give us? Which, again, I think we talk about this so often during the podcast. It comes down to well, what's in it for me. What's the return on my investment? And sometimes it takes a while for them to understand or to get the investment on that. But when you mix in the, you know, even if if you've got a high ROI or or good benefit for a lawyer, you're still having to mix in that risk aversion and the discomfort with technology. Um, um, and you have a real dilemma there. So uh, I, I I agree with you that that there needs to be sort of a, a, a broad approach to this. And I guess maybe you might call this the portfolio approach uh, to looking at ter- certain types of technologies and and saying I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna learn more about these, but I'm gonna be more cautious and more reserved about certain other types of technologies. I think that's probably a smart way to go about it. Uh, is that the, the the approach you're advocating? Yeah, I mean I. I advocate you you figure out what your temperament is and your tolerance for risk it's it's like investment and you're looking at a portfolio you're looking at a diversified balanced approach that fits your personality and, and your tolerance and i think something like the matrix that jeremiah has put together is really great for this and and we did some similar things i think in our collaboration book as as sort of easy ways for people to to look at what they're doing, assess what they're doing, and then develop strategy from it. So if I say, if, I, if I'm if i at a firm and I say, where is my firm at in these different areas of technology? You know, in which category do I fall? And I map that. Then I can say, you know, as in investments, if I'm, as you say, lawyers might say, hey, I'm really comfortable in the way, in the behind the times thing. I don't want to take risk. But if your clients are doing something else, your competitors are doing something else, that may not be as safe as you think. But I think if you map those out, even just putting dots in the different categories, you can say, hey, we're, our portfolio was really overloaded in the, in the behind the curve or you know, on the right side of the curve as opposed to the left side of the curve. How does that impact the way we make decisions? Um, and I, and so I think it's a, it can be an incredibly useful exercise for lawyers and firms looking at technology to say, what are we doing? And, and I think ultimately this is a good thing because if you say, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm not comfortable with risk. But if I see the description of my firm as falling in the laggard category with nothing that's innovative or early adopters, that makes me wonder – uh, you know, and really start to question the approach that I have. Well, I think that developing a matrix and 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 going through that exercise that uh, that you describe is a good uh, New Year's resolution for uh, our listeners and for lawyers and law firms in general. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Bill for Time. Thank you. 
Bill for Time tracks, organizes, and invoices your billable time online. It's accessible, customizable, and mobile. Qualities you need when you're in and out of the office. All Legal Talk Network listeners get a total of 60 days free for the light or professional version. Go to billfortime.com slash legaltalk and type in Legal Talk as the promo code to take advantage of this special offer. That's bill, the number four, time.com slash legaltalk and use Legal Talk as the promo code. Are you interested in sponsoring programs on the Legal Talk Network? We'd love to have you on board. Contact our sales department today at 781-551-9960. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And... Tom, I understand we have a few questions in the inbox this week. We certainly do. First, we have a question from Michael Stars, who is curious as to our thoughts on uh, a Windows 7 Starter Edition, which came preloaded on a netbook that he bought for his wife. Some people say dump it and load XP. Others say upgrade to uh, full Windows 7. He asks us, what are our thoughts on the subject? Dennis, what do you think? Well, I think that version of Windows 7 is really designed for netbooks. So I would, my inclination would be say, go ahead and use it and and see see how it works for you. I mean, I don't like the idea of of sort of going down to Windows XP. That's if you if you have a netbook, you kind of want to connect to the internet, do simple things. So you, I don't think you need to be so concerned about the operating system. I don't know why you would take on the task of actually doing a downgrade, or for that matter. Uh, doing an upgrade to a full Windows 7. I mean, Netbook has limited utility. Uh, Microsoft has put together a version of Windows 7 that's uh, designed for for Netbooks. To me, that seems like it'd be a great way to go. I mean, as long as, you know, you're buying a Netbook from somebody who's preloaded that starter edition and you have sufficient memory and and the other requirements, which um, I'll assume for purposes of this question. Well, and I think um, we're going to post a a link in the show notes where Maximum PC does a test on what's the best operating system for your netbook. And uh, they come to the conclusion that uh, it's neither Windows 7 nor XP, but they recommend that uh, people install Ubuntu as the most effective uh, operating system. If Ubuntu is a little uh, too uh, out there for your tastes, they they recommend, and I I agree, that that you stick with uh, Windows 7. XP is, is just a downgrade in terms of both performance and speed, and uh, and and Windows Seven is probably your best bet if you're going to go with a Windows product. Uh, we we also Dennis had an un- a related question from an anonymous listener who said, Dennis, in your recent article on Windows Seven, uh, did you really suggest that the new operating systems are going to bomb in law firms? You know, Tom, one of the things I love about being on the internet is that you find yourself. Uh, you read things about yourself and every now and then there's something that's just the opposite of what you you thought you believed. <laughs> uh, but I had, I had written a uh, column on Windows 7 for lawyers for, for my ABA journal technology column. And it was written several months ago um, because of the, the print times. And so I just wanted to do a piece that was, you know, on its face, not a review of Windows 7 uh, because I couldn't do that, uh, especially given the timeline. And I wanted to do a piece that was sort of like, Windows 7 is definitely coming. Uh, here's how you think about it. Here's how you make good decisions. Here's how you might consider your timing on that. 
Um, so I was really surprised to, to see that people had interpreted that article to say that I thought that Windows 7 would bomb in law firms because I think that, and I think if you go back to the podcasts that we've talked about on Windows 7 um, and the presentations I did last year, I think it's probably, it'll probably take a couple of years, but I, I think in a couple of years, you can see very widespread adoption of Windows 7 in the, in the legal profession. I agree. And I will say that I was not one of those people who took that message away from, from your article. We have a last question from another listener um, who asks, were there any new products or announcements from the recent CES that you thought would be of special interest to lawyers? And I'll add my two cents on, on this. And for those of you who aren't familiar, CES stands for the Consumer Electronics Show, a huge electronics show, technology show that takes place in Las Vegas about this time every year. And from my perspective, I, I followed fairly closely some of the new products that were coming out. And, and there were three things that really struck me about uh, about this year's conference. Uh, the first one was that there was a lack of really anything that was sort of wow about technology. That nothing came out of it that just knocked everybody's socks off. That was the talk of the conference. Um, the two products that I heard mentioned most often were 3D television. Uh, there are a number of companies coming out with products for 3D television. Uh, the obvious debate there is, are you going to have to wear those glasses when you watch television from now on? And and there are some products that do not require glasses, which will be a very interesting development. Um, I also discovered uh, from reading about CES that there are probably about a bazillion new ebook readers uh, that are being developed by different companies. And so within the next year, you can find a healthy competition in that market besides the Sony's and the Nooks and the Kindle e-reader books. I think that the other thing that I noticed about CES was the complete, you know, I, I think that there was a hush because we're all waiting for Apple to announce the, uh, the the debut of the tablet that keeps getting rumored at the end of this month. Dennis, did you come away with anything else from CES this year? Um, I, I thought there was a discussion of this USB 3.0 standard um, and devices finally starting to come out in that category, uh, which will be a lot faster in transferring data. I mean, I, I, th I think a lot faster and use less power. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting and expect to see developments over time. I do not expect to see 3D TVs with lawyers wearing 3D glasses in the law office anytime soon. And I'm curious, because uh, I'm a big tablet PC fan, um, but I'm curious to see this, whether the tablet thing actually happens this year, especially uh, the slate factor uh, without the keyboard. I'm, I, I really like tablets in a lot of ways, but the, the idea of just a slate um, tablet, I, I, I'm not sure that's going to get a lot of traction. I, I think there's some difficulties there. Um, as you know, Tom, I don't know which category this puts me in. I suspect early majority, but I, I did <laughs> get myself a Kindle finally at your recommendation. So, uh, so, and, and I'm intrigued at how that's going to work. So, but I think that something in that category, an ebook reader, a tablet, something like that, um, may make sense. Um, I, I think probably the Kindle may make more inroads um, into the legal profession than some of the other technologies. So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Uh, the parting shot I have this week is for Facebook users out there. If you are a, a heavy user of Facebook or if your friends are heavy users, you will notice that you are frequently being tagged in photos on other people's uh, profiles. And uh, there's a new tool out there called Photo Grabber, which allows you to download all of your Facebook pictures 
um, in one fell swoop. It's a very simple install that you do on your uh, computer, and it will uh, ask you who you want to download. And you can actually download photos of anybody uh, in your Facebook uh, in your Facebook uh, friends list, which adds a certain stalkerish element to it, I suppose. But I loaded it up uh, this morning. I said I wanted to uh, download all my photos. There are 60 photos of me on Facebook. It took about um, probably about a minute to download everything. They're not high quality because you can't upload those on Facebook. But I now have a copy of all the photos that other people have taken and uploaded of me. I think it's a it's a great way to, to get those photos quickly off of Facebook without too much effort. Dennis? Yeah, I wanted to talk about, because uh, we're just still in the early phases of, of uh, the earthquake in Haiti. And it just reminded me of the value of social media and Web 2.0 in, in a time of, of disaster in, in a number of ways. I'm still... Something that had a tremendous impact on me right after these earthquakes was something I saw on Twitter from a blogger in Haiti who said, all the mountains are down. And it just had a tremendous impact on me. It's like you cannot, almost can't even conceive of putting those words together in a sentence. Um, but I think that what's happened, we're always starting to see, is people are now using instant messaging to make donations, uh, to gather resources. You have the president, our government, encouraging people to use the Internet to make donations and to get help to people. Word is getting out from Haiti uh, th- through Twitter, through blogging, through, uh, you know, different approaches than we've we've seen before. Um, and it's really amazing how you can follow what's going on, how you can help and how people can pool together resources. Uh, and some of the most valuable ones, I think, are the ones that, that alert you to potential scams because there's no end to people who take advantage of these situations. And so lots of good information out there and, and good ways that you can help people and then also you can do so wisely. So I'm, um, it's just another great reminder of how social media can really work in these times. Indeed. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, which is located at tkmreport.com. We're on Twitter at tkmreport as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have any questions or suggestions for upcoming topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast... I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. And whether you're early or late, we hope that you adopt this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.